What is a New Zealand surname? Well, it might not be what you would expect. According to the Department of Internal Affairs, the most common surname for babies born in New Zealand last year was Singh. Smith comes in a close second, while another Indian name, Hoff, is the third most common, ahead of Wilson, Williams and Brown. Across the country, the most common Chinese surname for babies born in 2019 was Wang, back in ninth place. Asians now make up more than 15% of the New Zealand population, the main ethnic groups being Chinese and Indian. Stats NZ reckons the Asian population will increase to up to 1 million people in five years' time. But how do the children of these immigrants walk between two worlds? I'm Jessie Chang, and today on The Detail, what it means to keep your cultural heritage alive. My name is Julie. I came to New Zealand uh, when I was four, so that was over 20 years ago. And I've always lived in Tamaki Makoto. Uh, my first language was Mandarin, so that's the first ever language I grew up speaking. Um, and when I came here, I guess I must have kept speaking it because that was the only language I knew. Um, like I had to learn English, and I remember I wasn't very good at English for a long time. Uh, but at some point, I must have made the transition um, to stop speaking Mandarin and to just speak English. For Julie Zhu, wanting to belong and fit in with others had lasting consequences. I went through a lot of identity crisis issues uh, when I was younger, so I had a lot of internalised racism and didn't want to be Chinese. So with that, I didn't want to be speaking Chinese, I guess. I don't know how conscious that was in my mind at that stage, but yeah, probably around when I was seven or eight or nine, I stopped speaking Mandarin. Um, And more recently, now that I've learned more about why it wasn't good to be rejecting my Chinese-ness when I was younger, now I'm more okay with speaking Mandarin, um, but I'm still not very good at it. I speak like a four-year-old would, yeah. When did you realise that actually I should embrace my Chinese identity? I think it's been like an ongoing realisation rather than any single moment. Like my mum made me go to Chinese school once I wrote in a letter in primary school. We had to do some writing a letter to the principal task and then I wrote how I didn't want to be Chinese. Such a big mistake because my mum read it and then she like made me go to Chinese school for five years. So never do that. Um... And I hated Chinese school. And she was always saying things like, one day you're going to want to learn Chinese. One day you're going to want to be Chinese. Um, of course, being stubborn, I didn't really think that that would ever but happen. But she was right. I mean, I'm still not going to admit she was right. But uh, over the last few years, I'm um, yeah, I'm more open to embracing my Chineseness. I feel like so many people are going through these issues. Um, I'm just one of them. Uh, I feel like you see that, I guess, for the Asian community with the popularity of um, groups like Soul Asian Traits, that there's just more um, awareness and openness to speaking about these issues now as diaspora um, people. And we have a particular experience that is different from our parents' generations or maybe our future generations and from other people who uh, don't have that immigrant experience. What would your advice be to new immigrants, whether they are Chinese or of another ethnicity, when they come into New Zealand, how much should they try and integrate themselves into society? And how much should they try and keep their own culture? 
Um, I think it's always a balance that you negotiate no matter how long you've been here, whether you're a recent migrant or you've been here for generations. Um, it's always going to be hard to retain your identity when you're separated from that home country. Um, so, of course, there's going to be some aspects of assimilation and integration. I think it's just important for um, us all to remember that as we're assimilating and integrating, that that culture uh, should be the Indigenous culture here. It should not um, just be assimilating the, the culture of the dominant culture here, the Pākehā culture, but to be looking at how we can re-Indigenise all of the ways that we are um, here to relate to Māori culture and tikanga. Course instructors say the growing presence of te reo Māori in the media has sparked nationwide interest in learning the language. People are more interested, and it's across the board, through age, gender and ethnicity. They want to deepen the understanding of, of the language and the culture and learn how to pronounce words correctly. Some people describe it as falling in love with the language when they end up understanding the language more. Do you think that learning te reo Māori, which you have done in would you say you're more fluent in te reo Māori than Chinese? Has that helped you to embrace mm-hmm. your identity more? Yeah, it really has. Yeah, learning Māori has definitely helped me to um, overcome a lot of those stigmas that I had around my own identity. It's really encouraged me to look back to who I am, to ask my mum about where her family comes from, where all of our family history comes from, because that's so important in te reo Māori. And it's, yeah, I think it's been difficult for her, my like desire to want to learn te reo Māori because I still don't have that same desire to learn Mandarin. I think I have like less um, negativity towards Mandarin, but I don't have the same like joy and desire to learn Mandarin. Yeah, it, I think the two languages are different for me. Like in terms of my ability, like when I hear Mandarin, it just flows so much easily so much more easily into my head. Like I can immediately understand it unless it's difficult words. It's mostly the vocabulary that trips me up, but it's just automatic. But then when I speak, I feel like I can only construct what a four-year-old could say or if I can't think of something, I usually imagine my mum saying something and then I can come up with those words. And then Māori, it's much more like um, intentional. Like I know the grammar, but I have to really think about what I want to say. So in terms of what I want to say, I can articulate more in-depth, complex um, kind of topics and talk about things like colonisation or racism or oppression and all these heavy topics that I wouldn't be able to do in Mandarin. But in terms of like day-to-day conversations, I struggle a lot more um, being able to do that easily and fluently. I have to really think about the grammar and, and like really trying to translate it all in my head. So it's a lot more work than Mandarin is, which is easier, yeah. When you talk about passion for learning te reo, what is it that makes you so passionate about it more than Mandarin? Yeah, yeah, I I do think about that. Um, I think part of it is like I still have those remnants of internalised racism within me that prevent me from fully embracing um, my Chinese-ness in Mandarin. Like in my head, Māori is just a more fun beautiful language to learn so yeah it's it's probably something to do with just like still being stubborn and not wanting my mum to be right every sunday dozens of young dati indians head along to language and cultural classes run by the auckland indian association shanti patel is the chairperson for the school she says classes have been around since the 1950s 
And while there aren't heaps of students this year, there are about 65, the numbers have always been steady. The association has a lot of opportunities for, for children and young people to connect. Um, we celebrate a lot of festivals and a lot of people who even don't come to Gujarati classes will be coming to some of the festival occasions. So we have nine days of dancing, Navratri, and a lot of them will come and join in. And then we'll find that as they get older, they're forgotten. So, you know, we we, uh, we now have um, children's uh, garbas so people can learn how to dance in the, in the nine evenings. So that's just one example. We have religious classes at the temple, so people come and, and listen to the Gita um, on a Sunday. So can you explain what a Gita is? Uh, Gita is part of one of our holy books, like the Ramayana and the Mahabharata is part of that. Yeah. And the dances you mentioned, um, can you explain a bit more of what those are? Um, so we will do cultural dances, so the children will learn either traditional Gujarati dances or Bollywood dances to celebrate some of our public holidays like Independence Day. Um, and that's how they connect. They connect through dance and music, I think. So it's not about just learning the Indian, the Gujarati alphabet, but to make learning fun. And this is another way that they can connect to their culture. And how popular are these classes? So... I assume it'll be different for the dancing and then also learning the language. We have a fluctuating role, really. We have great enrolment at kind of year one, which is fives and a little bit under fives. Um, Often our classes get up to about 30 in a year. The children often come right through till they're about 10, 11. And then when they move to intermediate school, we find that they're doing other activities. It's getting busier for their parents Um, and often they tend to drop off as they go to high school as they focus more on the academic studies. Although I have to say, this year we have started um, an older children's class and they're ranging from 10 to 15 and they've been through and learnt the language um, and now they want to learn much more about our rituals and why we do things the way we do them. Do you think that the drop-off as the kids grow older are also in due part to these kids feeling disconnected or feeling like they don't want to learn about their heritage? No, I just think it's other pressures. I think they always want to learn about their heritage. We we live in extended family situations often, so the culture is all around them, particularly when their grandparents are around. So they're not disconnected. They're just getting busier. Kapoor Gaurum, Karunavataram the Mahatma Gandhi Centre has become a landmark in central Auckland and with future development it will become an icon that the Indian community and all people in New Zealand will be proud of. Sahitam Namami I'm an active member of the Auckland Indian Association and probably have been for about twenty years or so. I've been associated with the association since I was a child. Um, My father was one of the presidents and an active member in the 60s and the 70s also. So you've obviously been in New Zealand for a very long time. Very long time. I was born here. Growing up till now, we're in 2020, how have you seen the Indian population grow? It's a really diverse population, So when I grew up in the 60s and 70s, there were mostly Gujaratis and Punjabis. 
And then I think uh, we had an influx of uh, Ugandans that came in the 70s. And then, you know, in the 80s, we had the uh, the coup in Fiji. So a lot more Fijians came. And then with the laxing of the immigration laws, we have um, Indians now from all over India. So it's not just restricted to, you know, the, the pioneering people who were mainly Punjabis and Gujaratis. Yeah. What's it like now to see just the amount of Indians who do live in New Zealand? I love it. I think it gives people a real um, sense of the diversity of India. So they look at you and think, oh, you're Indian. But actually, we're so different. We're not just one homogenous race. All our, all our languages are different. Our cultures are different. And I just remember when I was little, there was only myself and one Maori girl in the class. And when they were taking school photographs, we were separated and put on the ends of the photograph to balance it. I think there's much more acceptance now of different cultures in the whole of Aotearoa society. Um, and so there's more acceptance about people having their own sense of identity rather than just being kind of whitewashed. Do you feel like you were whitewashed when you were growing up? I, th- I think a lot of people were. I, I, I think I was to a degree, but I was really conscious of the fact that just because I listened to Indian music, it didn't mean that it wasn't as valid as, as English music, which actually some of my friends said, oh, that's that's crazy, you know, that's just imitation music. And I was like, really? Okay, maybe you're right. Um, but I thought, Hang on, we've been around for years doing this too, you know? Like you haven't just, it's it's not just the white culture that's that's valid. And it took me a while to kind of stand up to that. Yeah. What do you think changed for you? I don't think anything changed. I think that when you have a solid foundation, particularly a family foundation, and the things that your family engages in, which is everything that's uh, for me, which was Indian. So the way my mother got up and, and literally there every morning, um, the food that we ate, we spoke the language at home. And I was like, does, if I do all that, does that make me a lesser person than anybody else? And actually it didn't. My parents did not pressure either my brother or I to learn Chinese. So while we do have a knowledge on how to speak and understand, both our writing and reading knowledge is even less. Uh, all of the Chinese knowledge, well, pretty much all of it, I have learned through just conversation and listening to my parents speak or my grandparents speak. Next to none of it is learned through like self-study or any other course. That's 21-year-old Kimberly Liu. She's Canadian, but she has Chinese roots. I met her in Taiwan at a four-week Mandarin language course both of us enrolled in. And in many ways, we have a similar journey with our mother tongue. Now as an adult, I wish I had learned how to read and write Chinese, so I'm starting later in life. My mom has a lot of connections back home to either Chinese or Taiwanese people working in our city, and a lot of them have been looking for to hire someone to help them out in the workspace, uh, usually just for small administrative uh, tasks, which is kind of related to what I'm studying, which is accounting, but I have... I do have a lot of experience doing administrative tasks. So they're hoping to fi- to hire someone who can also read and write Chinese. So that would definitely help if I knew how to do that, that perhaps I could maybe be a more fitted candidate for them. So it is to do with job prospects? 
yes, it is. In the end, it is about jobs and finding, you know, finding a good job because having connections is really important, but also being able to do something with that connection that you have is also really important. And if I can improve my Chinese, then perhaps I may be a good candidate for some of these people. And do you know a lot of people who are kind of in a similar position where, you know, they've grown up with their Chinese heritage, but they just haven't focused or learned a lot about it? Yeah, so actually a lot of my uh, Chinese or Chinese descent friends are all in pretty similar situations as myself where they can speak and understand a fair amount, but reading and writing is not as advanced. Um, a lot of them, their parents also didn't put much up emphasis or pressure on them to learn to read and write and also now they're wishing they had learned. That's exactly how I felt. It wasn't until I was at university that I realised I was missing an entire part of my cultural identity. I was finally able to go to Taiwan to learn Mandarin last summer and I fell in love with the language, the meaning behind the characters and the way they are pieced together. I'm still no expert, far from that. But I'm further along my journey of relearning my heritage. That's The Detail today. I'm Jessie Chang. The Detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across The Detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to Julie Zhu, Shanti Patel and Kimberly Liu. Xie xie, zai jie.